0: Good afternoon. You're listening to Radio Boise, KRBX, 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. This is The Big Tent, and I'm your host, Jackie Kettler, and I'm here with my School of Public Service co hosts, Luke Fowler and Corey Cook. Today, we're going to cover the election because I'm sure none of you are sick of hearing about the election (laughs) yet. Um, And I recognize there's been some big things like, you know, Jeff Sessions out, whatever happened with the CNN reporter, but we're going to focus on the election today and We'll maybe pick those things up in the future. So um, on Tuesday night, we saw the Democrats win a majority of seats in the U.S. House and the Republicans pick up some more seats in the Senate and extend their majority there. Um, So I'm going to kick it to my co-hosts, Luke and uh, Corey, on were there things that surprised you Tuesday night, things that interested you, races that you were particularly following? Uh
1: so yes I have answers to all of them. <laughs> uh to start you know I think the thing that, stuck, that stood out to me the most is some of the uh we'll say Con- like contradictory results that we saw. Um, certainly the Republicans picked up seats in the Senate. Uh, they lost seats in the House. Um, they also, But the Democrats uh, picked up some important gubernatorial elections. So it, it just kind of seems when you look at all the elections that as you kind of latch onto one particular election, you can kind of pick anything out. But when you look at them all as a whole, it's really hard to say that anybody won or lost. Um, I would generally argue that both the Democrats and uh, Republicans as well as the American people have lost this uh, election cycle. But that last part is a conversation for another day. Um, So I I think that's one of the most interesting parts of it is is there's not really a clear trend in all of it. Um, One of the elections, and I'm sure uh, the two of you didn't follow this, was uh, the Mississippi special uh, election for senator. Um, And so this time around, both uh, senators from Mississippi were up for election. Um, One, uh, Hyde Smith, had been appointed by the governor earlier in the year after Thad Cochran uh, 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 resigned, retired. Uh, What was interesting was that nobody got over 50%, so this is going to a runoff. Um, And so it's kind of interesting to see an incumbent Republican senator in Mississippi now having to go to a runoff because they couldn't secure enough. Um, A lot of that comes down to Chris McDaniel, who also was a Republican, tea partier, um, who really just threw a wrench into things. Uh, So I found that election to be extremely interesting. I also found the uh, results in uh, North Dakota with uh, Heidi Heitkamp uh, to be extremely interesting. And the story last week, or yeah, I believe it was last week, when she did the big ad about how she stood with sexual uh, assault survivors, and did not get the permission to release their names. And then also on that list were people that weren't actually sexual assault survivors. Um, that seemed to be a big thing that came up in that story. So I, I, I was very interested in what was happening there as well.
0: Also in North Dakota, people might remember a few weeks ago, or you know, very loyal listeners, that Fargo, <laughs> North Dakota had an initiative on the ballot for approval voting in their city elections and that passed. So we will soon see what approval voting looks like um, in the city of Fargo in the future. <laughs> How about you, Corey? What, what were you interested in on Tuesday uh, so, night?
2: So we have uh, two African-American governors in U.S. history, so Governor Wilder in Virginia and Governor Deval, Deval Patrick in, in Massachusetts. There were three Democratic nominees who are African-American for governorships. All three of them appear to have lost, although there may be a runoff in Georgia. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. They're still counting ballots in Georgia, and I think when they get through the – Absentees and provisionals, and 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 potentially a recount will be determined if if uh, Stacey Abrams will be in a in a runoff. Um, the other thing that uh, was interesting is is uh, sort of as Luke mentioned earlier, states have different voting systems, and we typically don't know that until election night and discover <laughs> maybe Georgia will have a runoff, and and maybe Louisiana will have a whole series of of new elections, and we're we'll hear about the, the the Mike Espy race in in um, Mississippi. There'll be a runoff election, in, in um, That'll be coming up, and so we learn about these different state systems. Uh, I study ranked choice voting, which is a a different type of voting system, where voters get to uh, articulate preferences for on each of the candidates. The lowest vote getter is eliminated, and those uh, votes are recalibrated to the voters' next. Preferred choice. Uh, Maine adopted a ranked choice voting system. All eyes are on the Maine second district, where the Democrat and Republican are within half a percentage point, I believe. And these uh, two third party candidates, uh, who both got less than two uh, percent of the vote, those votes will be redistributed, and we'll figure out who won in, in Maine. And so, uh, people are starting to pay attention. Uh, you know, as, as obviously Congress is divided, to recognize, wow, states have different systems of of, of allocating their votes, and. Uh, it is sort of a patchwork of state elections and not one big national election.
0: Yeah, I think that's something that I often bring up to my students. Remember, states like drive, you know, they decide the elections. And so there are key elements and decisions that they get to make. And so we do have diverse uh, election systems across. Also, I'm oh, sorry, Corey, no, you were going to. No, <laughs> um, for the state, uh, legislat- state legislatures, we saw Democrats flip, I think, seven le- mm-hmm. uh, chambers, that it looks like. But the interesting part here is that now we will only have one divided legislature in the country, in Minnesota. Every other legislature is unified. So I was talking to our colleague, um, Gary Moncrief, who thinks this means states will play an even bigger role in policy for the next two years, while Congress will probably be divided. States that we have all these unified legislatures. So a, a state result I was pretty interested in on Tuesday night.
2: Yeah, I think that's uh, certainly the, the prescription at the national level is not a lot getting done. And so I think that's exactly right, that we will see a lot of action in the states. Um, you know, Democrats picked up seven governorships, which um, it appears the majority of the country will now live in states where Democrats are governors. Um, although it's not a majority of governorships, it will be a majority of the population. Mm-hmm. Um, so that certainly will be interesting in terms of how that plays out at the state level. I was also gonna mention that um, among how states um, you know change voting systems, you know, Florida passed a, a ballot proposition that enfranchised about 1.5 million former felons. Uh, that's the, the third largest increase in the voting population in in U.S. history after the 15th Amendment, the uh, women's suffrage, and the Voting Rights Act. Mm-hmm. And so a major, significant action taken in Florida at the same time, governors appear to have won, sorry, Republicans appear to have won the Senate race and the governorship. Uh, this expansion of voting rights happens, and other states have, again, a patchwork of laws around who's allowed to vote.
0: Yeah, and there are a couple states passed automatic voter registration, um, so that puts us with a handful, maybe like five states, that just automatically register mm-hmm. voters, and you have to opt out <laughs> of mm-hmm. registration, which also the idea is that you're making, you're expanding registration, maybe you you can expand the turnout as well. How about Luke? Luke, any other things Tuesday night that particularly struck you? Um
1: well, I'll say looking forward to twenty twenty, which may be g- <laughs> coming into our, our, our next segment. One of the things that Come on, Luke. one of the things that, that <laughs> the stuck out to me is the late team. Yeah, uh, <laughs> was Uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. Um, All Democratic governors winning in those states, uh, particularly Wisconsin and Michigan flipping from Republican to Democratic governors, you kind of alluded to. I think those are some pretty important results um, because that is where Trump uh, ultimately won the election, was winning there. Uh, And so I think we'll get into more about what that means in the next segment. But I I think that's uh, the looking at the things in the Midwest, I think... And to your point on the state legislatures, I think maybe to a certain extent this was some realignment that was going on um, that everything just kind of... The Republicans won in states that you would expect Republicans to win in and Democrats won in states that you would expect Democrats to win in. I, I think the interesting part was looking at, you know, where Trump won that now the Democrats had won. And that's really came down to those two strengths. Uh, uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And I think that's what might end up making a huge impact going forward um, that there's not really... Nothing really too surprising happened this this time, right? For the, especially for those that have been watching and paying attention.
0: So some revision, you know, re- going back to the norm kind yeah. of idea that they were some states were out of balance with their kind of norm partisanship, and now have shifted back to that norm.
1: Well, and and again, uh, the North Carolina, uh, North Dakota Senate race is a good example of that. Heidi Heitkamp, um, being not really being an outlier as far as the Democratic Party going, but the fact that there's a Democrat that held that Senate seat in North Dakota was also an outlier. So. While it's kind of surprising when an incumbent gets beat like that. Also, when you look at it, it's just, like, not really that surprising that North Dakota elected a Republican to Senate.
0: Yeah, I I think that makes sense. Yeah, I I agree, Luke. Most results seem pretty much what I would have expected. I do think that um, I expected the Democrats to maybe win one of those competitive Senate uh, seats, and then so there may be some, you know – looking at why they they were unsuccessful across a lot of these states moving forward. Um, But on the House side, Democrats picked up some seats, yeah, some that are more traditionally Democratic seats, but a couple that also were surprising. Um, And I know lots of family members in Kansas were paying attention to the third, where Sharice Davids won, um, be the first lesbian Native American um, in Congress, Um, so pretty unique um, profile there for Kansas to be sending Mm -hmm. um, someone of that identity to the Congress.
1: Well, and I think we talked about previously, the thing that surprised me in this entire uh, election cycle wasn't really the, the outcome of this, but how many elections and contests were were competitive that shouldn't have been? I mean, again, you're looking at uh, one of the probably the best examples that we mentioned earlier was Ted Cruz and uh, Beto, right, in, in Texas, right? I mean, it's kind of surprising to think of a sitting Republican senator in Texas having to, the fight of his life. Um, and so that that was really surprising to me. Um, the elections in Florida, but that, that gubernatorial, and my wife's family all from Florida um, and Andrew Gillum doing as well as he has and I just point out that why he was getting all this national press I mean he's under investigation for the FBI from corruption and it's hard to imagine that somebody who is literally being investigated from corruption almost wins the, an election for governor
0: although we have had some appointed to the cabinet
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <Just> <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean like uh, there's no like outside of the context of 2018 like that would be such a shocking thing so there's a lot of elections this time around that were really competitive and close that historically should have never been that close.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. Well, we're going to take a quick break um, here on The Big Tent, but come back and we'll discuss what the 2018 elections might mean moving forward.
1: Did you miss your favorite Radio Boise show? No worries. Check out RadioFreeAmerica.com to stream any Radio Boise program anytime.
0: All right. Welcome back to The Big Tent on KBR KRBX 89.9 FM Caldwell, Boise. I'm your host, Jackie Kettler, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Luke Fowler and Corey Cook, all of us from the School of Public Service at Boise State University. Um, we've been discussing some of the results from Tuesday night. Now we're going to move on to what it all means moving forward. So, Corey, what do you expect to kind of happen in D.C. now that the Democrats have picked up the House and Republicans have retained the Senate?
2: Well, I, I imagine it's going to be more of the same um, in terms of um, you know, the president hasn't been particularly successful in getting uh, bills passed through uh Congress, Uh, He did get some things passed through the House that weren't taken up in the Senate. Now he has a friendlier Senate, but an unfriendly House. Um, The governance by other means, right? So a lot of executive orders and certainly pushing a judicial agenda, which will be even easier now that he has a bigger majority in the Senate. Uh, But my expectation is you will have a a lot of investigations on the House side and a lot of judicial nominees on the Senate side and probably nothing happening legislatively. So we'll see. uh, President Trump spoke about um, uh, about having... um, an executive order on, um, on uh, refugees and migrants, and I'm imagining that'll be rolled out probably tomorrow, I understand. Um, uh, and I think that's sort of what what, what we're going to see a lot of is are those sorts of executive actions followed by congressional investigations, and then the Senate just getting through as many judicial nominees as they possibly can.
0: Yeah, that's a good point about investigations. And that's one thing we saw when the Democrats took the House in 2006 was a lot of kind of movement immediately on investigating different elements of like the Iraq War and other kind of policies. And so, yeah, I, I agree that that seems likely.
2: And apparently the Senate's going to be enlisted to investigate the House, which um, oh. is a new twist that President Trump announced in his news conference that apparently if the house exercises its constitutional oversight responsibilities to investigate the executive <laughs> parents, then we would in quoted we would investigate them which seems <laughs> deeply problematic from an institutional perspective but you know we'll see how that plays out all right <laughs>
1: yeah i'd like to uh, hear what the white house counsel has to say about that because <laughs> um, they might uh, counsel against such they,
2: things they might might recommend to the president that the things he says or tweets may yeah. not always be consciously appropriate. I'm mm-hmm. sure
0: there's already been warnings about that before and yet here we are. So, And Luke I think you're really excited to talk about 2020 so what what are you thinking about 2020?
1: I wouldn't 2020? say I'm excited to talk about 2020 <laughs> <laughs> it was just an interesting side note uh, of all of this and so uh, I mean clue like we have two years um that are gonna be an interesting two years Uh, i think in congress it's going to be an interesting to see who looks the least bad um the (laughs) democrats in congress versus the president um, and who really gets the most mud on themselves in this process Uh, i think the electoral politics and how this shakes out is going to be really interesting because i mean when you look at what happened and again don't let the the senate by itself or uh confuse you or really obscure what's going on because a lot of the, the Senate races were happening in states that were already very heavily Republican. So it's not really a surprise that, you know, some like Heidi Heitkamp lost in North Dakota or Claire McCaskill lost in Missouri. It's not really surprising. What is interesting are the other statewide races that happened, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. So those are all states that, Republic, uh, that Trump won that the Republicans didn't win this time around, mm-hmm. so I mean, is that a shift? Is that an anomaly? Um, are those states going to be the swing states coming back around? Um, what is going to happen? And so I, I think there's going to be an even like bitter more bitter fight this time around. And I mean, clearly uh, Trump is already gearing up his 2020 election campaign. I'm guessing that we'll get through maybe mid-January before uh, we have more Democrats announcing and starting theirs. The question is how long do we have to wait before we hear Republicans announcing? Because um, <laughs> I, I mean, I would tell you I, I would be shocked if there's nobody that challenges Trump for the Republican nomination.
0: I mean, Jeff Flake would be one potential, right? Like, it seems like maybe he'd be interested.
1: Uh, I'm, I would like uh, Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. I think John Cass- Kasich would probably yeah. is probably going to run again. He did
0: run be- in, in 2016.
1: Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of people out there. That, so I mean, again, looking does that last longer than 15 minutes,
2: though? I mean, is that is that is there any either of those even remotely viable in terms of even even slowing down the president? No, I, in this Republican Party?
1: I, I think that's a good question. Um, I, I think that there was always a very unstable marriage between the congressional Republicans and Trump. Um, the question is whether you look at the midterms now. And of course, I think if we're in a really weird spot here, because had the Republicans won big in these midterms, um, those ties get closer together. And if they would have lost big, those ties would have been strained. I think they would have just cut ties with each other, right? Um, but there is kind of who grasped onto to what. Um, do the Republicans that lost blame Trump for this? The Republicans that win credit with him for it? So I think you're going to see some of those divisions within the Republican Party just get stronger. But you're right. I mean, how much money is going to be there? And is anybody going to make it to Super Tuesday? Because um, if you can't make it that far, you're not a legitimate contender.
0: Although, you know, Trump didn't have the huge money advantage in 2016. Clinton outspent him. Other Republicans, I'm sure, came close. What he benefited from was maybe some free media and some other. Um, element so I, I can see the possibility of other Republicans having a good amount of money whether or not that matters would be another uh, question
2: but the Senate's become this hyper partisan majoritarian institution right which you know at least you know, when I teach the Congress class, isn't how we used to teach it, right? <laughs> um, and that and it's changed a lot. And now you're going to have a Senate that is still, by historic standards, closely divided, but you're going to have at least five or six Democratic senators running for president during the next two years, right? And so how that plays out in terms of Senate hearings, I would imagine that uh, Senate judiciary is going to look a lot like it did uh, this fall in terms of at least two, if not more, presidential candidates on that committee, um, trying to uh, sort of boost their name recognition among Democratic donors and, and uh, grassroots activists. Um, so we'll certainly see partisanship on the Democratic side. This question about whether people become more loyal to Trump, I mean, you know, Rep- Republicans had int- indicated for a long time that if we're Jeff Sessions to be fired, that would be a red line. No one has said a word. Uh, It's interesting to see how that, you know, the Senate, and obviously Sessions comes from the U.S. Senate. Republican senators are not complaining. They're not uh, beating up the president. They are falling directly in line behind his decision to fire uh, uh, the Attorney General of the United States. I'm sorry, to encourage the resignation of the Attorney General of the United States.
1: No, and I I think it's very interesting, his timing on that, right, and how this has gotten kind of swept up in the news cycle. I think the steps in the Mueller investigation are going to be really telling here, um, and I think that's going to be what pushes the Republicans to their brink, um, is, especially if you've seen all the things in the media that's coming out about what's happening with the new, interim uh, attorney general I think there's a lot of expectations that he's going to fire Mueller or at least find a reason to fire him or push back or rein him in and I think that's going to be the things that are really going to test people
2: Right, my favorite news story of the week is Kellyanne Conway's husband, George Conway. I believe his name's George, right? Um, uh, Tweeted today. uh, He's a prominent D.C. lawyer. He's also a Republican. Uh, Tweeted today that the that the appointment of the the uh, uh, Attorney General is unconstitutional, and making the argument that he was not. He had not been confirmed by the U.S. Senate, and therefore, uh, actually, he is not the, he is not legally able to take that. I mean, so you have somebody who, again, is married to probably the closest advisor to the president, arguing that in fact the Sessions firing may have been been legal, but the replacement, that actually should have gone to the person who's currently overseeing the, the Mueller investigation, um, because he actually was confirmed by the United States Senate, and so to actually appoint the chief of staff, uh, who hadn't been confirmed by the Senate, is actually in violation of, of certainly federal law, if not the U.S. Constitution.
0: Well, that's really interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't read that or seen that. Well, we're going to take a break, um, but please come back and join us here on The Big Tent. Oh, hey, Boise, it's Kalen. And Greg. From Wheelchair Sports Camp, and you're listening to KRBX 89.9 FM.
1: Caldwell, Boise.
0: Shouts to representing community radio for representing little artists like us. (laughs) Hello, you're back here at the, on the Big Tent, listening to the Big Tent here on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, and we've been discussing the national results, but of course we have lots of races here in Idaho, um, and in the Treasure Valley, so we're going to spend this last segment talking some about results here in Idaho. Corey, anything that you're particularly interested to, to see happen here in Idaho? Well, I
2: I was interested in the ballot propositions, and obviously the passage of, of Prop 2, which I think, um, was anticipated was still uh, significant to see uh, Idaho was one of two states who uh, that expanded Medicaid during this election through a ballot proposition. I was also surprised I guess by Proposition 1 um, and not that it was defeated but it actually it was a lot closer than I would have imagined. Uh, there were a, a, just a, an onslaught of money in opposition uh, to Proposition 1.
0: Yeah and interestingly um, Ada County um, voted for it. Right um. Um, and so you know just the history, you know, sort of generally with
2: ballot propositions, you money will never propel them to win, but money can almost certainly guarantee their failure. Uh, voters, the way they, pr- they tend to process ballot propositions is they need to be convinced to vote yes, and sort of any reason to vote no is a reason to vote no. The opponents of Prop 1 had a number of, I think, compelling arguments for why people ought to vote no that we saw on the airwaves, whether it's TV ads or radio ads, um, and yet that... I fairly narrowly was defeated, considering, I think, the the discrepancy and sort of the amount of coverage for and against.
0: Yeah, I think there may have still been some confusion on what the proposition did. I think there were still some people who thought it was actually a vote on live horse racing. I also think the wording was a little confusing. Mm-hmm. Like I had, when I was voting, I had to like read it twice, be like, okay, which way am I voting <laughs> on this again? Whereas Prop 2 was very straightforward. Yes. it's clear what was going to happen, what we were voting on. So yeah, it was a, an interesting one to watch. How about you, Luke? Anything that you were interested in? Uh,
1: you, know, the, you know, the two things that, that stuck out to me, one was the Medicaid expansion, right? I mean, uh, certainly that's been a hot topic, but, uh, or a hot button topic. Um, certainly something that the Democrats have tried to make as a major policy issue um, this time around. It's definitely an issue that they own um, more so than the the conservatives. So it's definitely interesting to see a state that is more conservative like Idaho put that in the forefront and the voters to go out there. Um, the question is how, what that's going to turn out to look, like in the next couple of years when we try to uh, i guess put that into practice um and how that might affect the, the political landscape uh you know and the other thing would be of course the the governor's race um with paulette jordan um you know i i think the watching and and not necessarily being from Idaho and being, you know, familiar with the long history of, of Paulette Jordan and some of the other things here, it was definitely interesting to see some of the national media coverage of her um, as kind of this, uh, another you know, Democratic candidate that was a media darling in, in the national spotlight that did not win her local race. I mean, though that with uh, Beto O'Rourke from Texas, Andrew Gillum, um, met possibly Stacey Abrams, and so it just seems like there was this list of people that the national media picked out as the next Democratic stars coming from these states that just never really connected with the, the, the voters locally and so I think that's a, an interesting kind of side spin of this.
0: Well and of course Paulette Jordan didn't even have the support of some establishment or Democrats in the state right? Um, Column got more votes in Aida County than Paulette Jordan did. Paulette Jordan barely won Aida County um, so there's some interesting elements there. I mean she got the same vote percentage you know 38 percent as Bluecoff but some interesting vote patterns there.
2: So one of the things that I think, um, and obviously this is for a later show, because Jackie, I really want to hear you. You've really focused on the on the state elections, and so I really want to not take the airtime. I will say something we have to pin uh, for for a later conversation is this question about how prop uh, prop. Uh, gets implemented mm-hmm. now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a lot of literature and political science that shows you know, these things are not self-executing. Um, most ballot propositions in states actually are not implemented the way that the uh, they were intended to by the po- folks who authored the initiatives, whether that's because a legislature amends them or, or doesn't fully fund them or they're interpreted differently by the courts or the confusing measures end up being challenged or a variety of different things. It is very rare for a ballot measure actually to go fully into effect. And so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out come come January when the legislature does need to take action to actually fund the piece of Medicaid expansion.
0: Yeah, I think that's one reason why the 60% win is key, because it shows that there was broad support for the initiative. We saw uh, Republican support and voters support the initiative. And so already some key legislative leaders and, of course, um, Governor-elect Little have said that they will follow the will of the voters. So at the very least, you know, if it was close. If it was like 51%, it gets easier to be like, well, maybe we need to revisit. Whereas this is a strong enough, at least they can't ignore it, mm-hmm. I guess, um, in, in January.
2: But So what, what did you find interesting? You've been studying the state races.
0: Yeah, you know, I think one that I was interested in was the uh, state superintendent of public instruction. And Cindy Wilson came close, the Democratic nominee, um, which is, tends to be, I think this year was a good year for Democrats to potentially pick up that seat, which would have been the first. Statewide win in a while, and even then, Democrats couldn't couldn't pick it up, um, really demonstrating the Republican advantage overall in the state. But Treasure Valley, Boise is bluer than ever. Um, picked up some Democratic uh, county commissioners, um, picked up seats in District 15, so Boise looks quite blue now. Mm-hmm.
2: And statewide Democrats picked up a couple seats, handful seats in the legislature?
0: Yep, yep. I think overall we've got uh, Democrats picked up four um, in the legislature, three in the House and uh, one in the Senate. So not a big gain, not, you know, real substantive, but um, it, they're not, they didn't lose seats, which <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there had been some bad years recently. So um, that's probably a, a good sign. Also, one thing that I, I haven't seen, you know, I've, really fascinated me was the CWI levy mm-hmm. that failed by and. 44 votes um, it passed with, i mean like it, it was higher vote percentage in ada county than in canyon county where it would benefit canyon county so that's an interesting one um, to to see what they do now
1: so based on all this, Jackie, you see, I mean, in the next legislative session and just being business as usual, do you think any of this really changes that much?
0: I think one thing I'm interested in is education, which is always a big issue in Idaho, right? But we have Little, who was endorsed by the Idaho Education Association, already talking about his various education plans. And, and the incumbent, Sherry Yabara for public instruction, barely won her race. And so clearly, Idaho voters are still, concern, they're still concerned. There's still concerns about education. So I'm interested in what they do there. I think that'll be a big issue to watch. And we're
2: gonna have some turnover in the edu- education committees, right? Well, yeah, so so yeah. a couple of the legislators who are on this on the education committees were, were defeated.
0: And, and Julie Van Orden, who was the chair, right, in the House, lost her primary race. So yeah, so we've got some key turnover um, in that in that committee. Um, I think criminal justice may be an issue that really plays a role, which voters don't necessarily report, you know, carrying high amounts, but we've got big issues in overcrowding of jails and in prisons. And so what that does will in the next spring will be interesting, too. Um, Yeah. Any other races that we found? trying to think back i am still like exhausted from election <laughs> night so my brain is not working yes. great uh
1: for the listeners out there that just listen to radio boise um because i know there's many of you that do uh jackie is apparently on every news station <laughs> all the time all the time i everyone. mean basically i just am at home like flipping through channels and jackie's on every station <laughs> talking about the election and then the same thing happens with the radio so
0: she's pretty much uh yeah
1: the uh idaho election expert yeah it's, it's
2: confusing for people who don't realize some of those things were taped like, <laughs> yeah. how can she possibly be in all these places yeah. at the same time which
0: just just means I'm probably saying incorrect things everywhere <laughs> but well thank you all for joining us here on the big tent we encourage you to stick around um, for the 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 next show um, a public affairs show as well they're going to have Daniel Lee Henry on to discuss the new book across the shaman's River so I'm sure that will be a fascinating show so please uh, stay tuned and, and 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 listen in thank you as always for joining us and hopefully you'll um, join us again next week here on the big tent on Kbrx Caldwell Boise.